Marcel Kittel, the German sprinter, has terminated his contract with Katusha by mutual agreement. So he said in a statement, in the last two months, I've had the feeling of being exhausted. At this moment, I'm not able to train and race at the highest level. For this reason, I've decided to take a break and take time for myself, think about my goals and make a plan for my future. What do we make of this? In August 2019, Marcel Kittel stunned the cycling world by announcing his retirement. He was only 31. I, I left the sport maybe early and there were also people who said to me, hey, you can't, you can't leave, you've got such a talent and you, you need to go on. But, I mean, I can't go on just because other people want me to, to do it. Just eight years earlier, at the 2011 edition of Spain's La Vuelta, a fresh-faced Marcel introduced himself by winning a stage on his Grand Tour debut. From there, his rapid ascent to the peak of his sport brought him adoration. 14 Tour de France stages, 89 professional wins, one of the most breathtaking sprinters of all time. Marcel Kittel, look at the contact with the road of these bicycles. Mark Cavendish hitting a pothole, riding a bucking Bronco. Kittel, though, he's the king of the rodeo. But professional cycling is remorseless, unforgiving. Hours and hours spent alone working your legs and your mind into the ground. In the early 2010s, with the sport under the microscope, there were relentless questions about doping. Everyone looks at you as this hard, tough guy who, you know, who never struggles, but that's not the reality. Everyone struggles and it's also uh, a very human thing to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why many cyclists love this sport, because it pushes you to the limits, physically, but also mentally. His mental limits were pushed to the edge. And ultimately, Marcel was burnt out by the pressure of the thing he loved doing most. I'm Owen Blackhurst, and for Eurosport, this is Raw. Stories of bravery, determination, and talent. In 2011, Marcel signed his first pro contract with the Dutch pro continental team Skill Shimano. He made his debut at the Tour de Langkawi in Malaysia, winning a bunch sprint in his first ever race. Then came the Tour of Poland. I had already big, big success as a new professional and the Tour of Poland was for me a race on world tour level, on the highest level um, of races on the race calendar where I really want to show, wanted to show myself again and um, show that I can also win here against the best guys and I won four stages there. So another breakthrough and that whole first year was just, the time was flying there and success was coming so quickly that it was really hard to digest and I was just on a high the whole time and I thought, okay, this, this will never end. And because you're so new and you just try to take it in, as quick as possible, you, you don't really look back and actually appreciate what was happening. It was about to get better. In August of that year, Marcel was picked to make his debut on the Grand Tour, La Vuelta a España, a 3,000-kilometre trek around Spain, from Benidorm up to Madrid, the scorched earth of Andalusia to the snow-capped peaks of Sierra Nevada. Stage 7 traced 185 kilometres. It was a flat stage, a sprinter's stage, 
and Marcel was up against a new generation of very fast men. As a cyclist, why, if you have a victory there, this is amazing. it can't get any higher. You know, maybe then from Vuelta you can take another step to the Tour de France. But for me in that year, the Vuelta was everything. And I was so focused on that day. I knew that, that this was one of the last chances before the mountains uh, where I could show my sprint and try to go for a victory with my team. And everyone was so focused. We did everything in a good way. And when we went into the sprint finish, there, I remember that everything was going so fast. There was a sharp left turn at probably a kilometer before the finish. And all the sprinters were up there. A lot of young, new names, including myself, we all wanted to win. 200 meters before the finish line, boom. A crash skittled several of the main players. But fellow Tyros Peter Sagan and Oscar Freire were still there. It was a flat-out race to the finish. The hot Spanish sun still high in the sky. A cool wind blowing into the pack. The crowd on the side of the road going ballistic. Uh, I found this ideal moment of starting my sprint and uh, saw the spectators around me and it was just this hot day, but you only want to get to this finish line as first and nobody passed me. And that was an amazing feeling because, you know, that last big goal for the season became a reality um, and a success. And it also had all these extras, you know, beating all those successful guys there in front of a big crowd and in television. And it was just amazing. Marcel finished that debut season by winning two stages at the Herald Sun Tour and ended up as the rider with the second most wins across the year. He was the new poster boy. Cycling website Velo News called him a revelation. I think that's a lesson that I learned a couple of years later, that those first years I had as a professional and all the wins and success and attention as well, that was something very unique. The following season, Skill Shimano were given a wildcard entry to the big one, the Tour de France. It was my second season as a professional after a really, really successful first year where... Not only I grew as a rider and as a name, also my team got bigger and better and more experienced. And we were suddenly really playing on the highest level and doing our sprints there in a successful way. You wanted to show yourself even more. And going into that race, I was well prepared. I was on high altitude training camp before. We tried to um, do sprint training to get ready and, and, and just we were really, really focused. And then disaster. One of his friends had baked him some bread. And Marcel fell sick after eating it. A viral infection ripped through his stomach and intestines. After all the training and hype surrounding this exciting new sprinter, he had to pull out after only four days. One abandoned today, as you can see, Marcel Kittel of uh, Team Argo Shimano. I'm not surprised. Uh, um, Carlton described him yesterday as looking like a, a, a sick schoolboy, a little schoolboy who would like a comic and a bag of crisps to make him feel better, which was a good analogy, I thought. And uh, he's abandoned today, not uh, been in the best of shape. Marcel spoke to us from his family home in Switzerland. With his wife close to giving birth to their second child and his microphone resting on a box of cereal and a bike in the background, he looks happy, fresh, young. And as someone that still talks so passionately about that first time he got on a bike as a kid, missing the ace, king, queen and jack of cycling events was devastating. I felt like this stupidest person on the whole planet. I just, you know, you prepare 
for this race and you want to be there and, and everything is, is, is in a good place and you're feeling okay. And then you just do this stupid mistake. And yeah, so I got sick. I had stomach problems and, and, and that's probably the worst thing that you can have because all the energy is gone within a day. And, uh, and the first three, four days, I just, uh, where all these sprint stages actually were, I couldn't do anything. I could barely finish the stages. This is a landmark day for cycling. Cycling indeed has endured a lot of pain as it has absorbed the impact of the USADA report. The UCI will ban Lance Armstrong from cycling and the UCI will strip him of his seven Tour de France titles. Lance Armstrong has no place in cycling. On August 24, 2012, Lance Armstrong was found guilty of doping offences and banned for life, stripped of every prize he'd won since 1998, including those Tour de France medals. Lance appeared on Oprah and admitted that his mythic, perfect story was one big lie. And it wasn't just Armstrong. German Tour de France winner Jan Ulrich had been found guilty in 2011. Even after years of whispers, the levels of subterfuge on show in pro cycling made a Bond film look like Mary Poppins. When I became a cyclist in 2001, it was the good period of cycling, you know, especially in Germany. There were a lot of fans, cycling fans. Everyone was following it after the wins of Ulrich at the Tour de France and also Zabel. And it was a big, big sport. And I was just lucky enough that I started the whole sport out of curiosity and, and because I saw my father on a bike and not, not a big name like Ulrich. That I, I didn't have these role models and I, I'm saying that because when you fast forward and, and we had all these doping stories that came to light and all um, basically a whole sport imploded uh, for sure in Germany but also around the world, that was tough to see. Marcel just couldn't get away from it. Nobody could. The juices dominated headlines far beyond cycling. The pressure cranked up. When I signed my first contract, that was also one of the reasons why I thought, okay, I just try to do it my way, clean, and, and see how far I can get. And if it works, it works. If not, okay, yeah, still, then, then I have other possibilities in my life. And that's a bit of how I approached it. But... It, from there on, when you are a young professional, you're still a professional. So all the interviews, especially in Germany that I had, they were always critical. You could see the, also the fence next to the road having signs with EPO syringes and, and all that stuff and, and blood on it. So it was for a young cyclist, young professional, it was quite hard to see. And, and you always had the feeling that you have to... Uh, defend yourself being a professional cyclist but over the years at the same time that also changed because there were many young cyclists including myself trying to show that they want to do it clean we tried to be very transparent and especially in Germany I also did a lot of work with the media and a lot of interviews and I really just tried to show what I do and how I do it and, and you know bring back that trust a bit uh, to the sport and I think that worked well the atmosphere soured and trust was fragile. Innocent cyclists like Marcel had to constantly talk about being clean. It took its toll. 
when you are in this situation where you think everyone is critical towards you and they don't trust you, they don't believe you, after a while, that's something that you simply accept. Um, because I just, at that time, then just told myself, hey, I am clean. You know, I can't, I can't explain it to someone else. If he doesn't want to trust me, he doesn't want to trust me. So the only thing that matters is what I really do. And um, I, I can look into the mirror and tell myself I am clean. And that's, that's the only thing that matters. In October 2012, Marcel took to Twitter to voice his thoughts. He said he felt sick of hearing cyclists defend Armstrong. They should play their false games somewhere else, he said. Or do they ride for money instead of joy? And you can imagine what it was like during this time between the cyclists on tour. Whispers everywhere. Sitting in hotels. Gunning it in the peloton. Getting onto planes. And in 2013, at the tour of Turkey, the whispers about Ryder Mustafa Sayar turned out to be true. Everyone knew, hey, 100% something is going on there. Um, and then, of course, everyone was talking in the peloton, in the race, and we, we thought, hey... What can we do about that? And because it was so obvious that this guy was uh, um, cheating. And it turned out a few weeks or a month later, he actually returned positive um, um, doping, doping tests. So um, it was actually, so it was quite open to discuss that. What upset Marcel the most was the way he began to lose his belief in the brilliance of others. This doubt that you started to get from all the doping stories the years before is, is also something which which gets stuck in your head. And sometimes with a super good performance, you're like, ah, is that really, is that really possible? But I think it's also not good if it, if it develops like this. You, you need to believe in, in talents because that's the fascination of sports in general, that there are new talents coming up and they are capable of something which was probably not seen before. And if you lose that aspect of sport, I think you really lose one main reason to watch sports in general. Because uh, yeah, if someone is pushing the limits of the whole sport a bit higher, that's exceptional. But of course, you also need to be sure that this athlete is doing it in a clean way and within uh, the rules, um, that's really, really important. And I think we are now at the point where it's okay to to trust it more um, because cycling changed. When the 2013 Tour de France came around, Marcel was ready. The first stage was in Corsica, Porto Vecchio to Bastia. And after a chaotic finish that saw a team bus stuck on the finish line, Marcel sprinted to victory, his first yellow jersey. Can he do it? Has anyone else got something to take off it? He won again in the 10th and 12th stages. And in the final stage, well. Mark Cavendish had won the sprint down the Champs-de-Lysée four years in a row. But this time, it was Marcel's turn. Oh, they're just starting to break down. Some going too early. 
you mustn't snatch at this at all. Sailing round the barriers they go, and Argus Shimano look absolutely fantastic at the moment. And look at this, that's Kittel. Oh, and that's great from behind him. And there's Karanish. You want the best. Here they come. It's time to go. And there's the line. Who's going to get there first? Rifle, Karanish, Kittel. You can't decide. Oh, they're coming to the line right now, all together. Oh, my goodness, it's Kittel. Kittel takes it. What a finish, I wanted to win against the best in the biggest races, and that was yeah my whole purpose as a sprinter. I wanted to prove myself myself as the best against the others. So I was really waiting for these sprints against uh, against Kev, Andre Greipel as well. My goodness, what a way, what a way to end this 100 Tour de France. The three finest sprinters on the planet going head to head. Um, just the whole sprinting elite at that time to really show that I am the fastest. And the best place to show that is in the biggest race of the world, and, and that's the Tour de France. 2014 was another year to be reckoned with too. Winning stages at the Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France, and then winning the first and last stages at the Tour of Britain. When that goal suddenly becomes a reality and you are um, you are up there against the best and you, you win, and um, especially this fantastic Tour de France in, in the UK in 2014 with the Grand Depart there, and also a first stage in the hometown of, of, of Kev's mom. Um, yeah, it was a great setting to just try to show myself. And I'm yeah really looking back at that time with great, great memories. And I think at that point in my career, I really proved myself as one of the best sprinters in the world in cycling. And it was really one of the high points in my career. But in 2015 things started to change. Something clearly wasn't right. He was ill regularly, dropped out of races early, withdrew days before they were due to start. And then in August, Marcel wasn't nominated for the Tour de France. In the first years that I had, with all the success, that's, like I said before, it's something really unique, it's something special um, that you also need to enjoy. But after the first one or two years it started to become become more of a normal thing but it wasn't a normal thing you know winning in the Tour de France in 2013 four stages and just having a really successful season and then repeating it the year after is something really exceptional and um, I think when I had this first really really hard moment in, in 2015 in spring and I got sick that really brought me to to a low point because I never really found a way how to deal with all the success that happened before that and how fast it also went. His initial illness and slump in form had led him to question the very foundations of why he cycled. Why he put himself through the gruelling training regimes, the months away from friends and family, the lonely nights in hotel rooms with muscles on fire. From the outside and, and through the eye of a camera, it all looks so... Yeah, big and great, but I also know the reality behind the scenes and getting to, to your hotel after a race can be sometimes just a normal feeling, but sometimes also really disappointing because then when you when you lie there on your on your bed and yeah your legs are aching and you're tired and this is sometimes also really a lonely place and you need to try to make it a nice experience 
for yourself, talking to your teammates and, and just um, distract yourself sometimes from these lonely moments because it's not only, you know, epic moments and great success, but it's also just sometimes hard. Marcel came to the realisation that he hadn't just stopped. He'd paid the price for all of his success. He was exhausted. I think the main reason was me getting sick early in 2015 because I've never really given myself rest in those years before and I yeah, had to take a break. And I realized once I got this little break, I, I was getting worse, especially mentally. I, I really came to a point where I started to realize, okay, this is a moment where I need to process the last years and think about what I want. And it all, all together, it really dragged me down. And I was at a point in my life where I've never been before, where I really started to reconsider everything. He changed to the Etics Quick Step team for the 2016 season, swapped Germany for Switzerland, and the new scenery, people, and mindset had the positive effects he was after. The following season, he won stages at the Giro, and then a personal best of five stages at the Tour de France. Marcel Kittel then on to the podium for the third time at this Tour de France, the 12th time in his career. He really does look as though he has refound that form that he demonstrated three years ago in 2014 when he was nigh on unstoppable. And he's got plenty more opportunities still to come. But mentally, Marcel was still grappling with where he wanted to be. And he moved teams again for the 2018 season. But the year after, in August 2019, he shocked the world of cycling by cancelling his contract and announcing his retirement. It turned out that I ended up in a team where, where I realised we don't fit at all together and that the way I want to work, the way they want to work, it doesn't really work out. And so I, I got again in a really difficult personal struggle with myself. I realised, hey, shit, that's not what I want. Um, that's not how I imagined my sport would be. So I've decided to finish my contract and I'll stop my contract earlier than expected. Marcel was adored by the cycling world. And his decision was difficult to come to terms with for fans. Seeing his six-foot-one body open up a sprint and push his bike to its structural limit was breathtaking. He looked massive, gladiator thighs, mouth clenched, then arms wide and high after crossing the line. His sprint rival, Mark Cavendish, once said his rival with Marcel raised not just his own level, but enhanced the sport as a whole. Go on to YouTube now and read the comments of any race he was part of. People from all over the world saying things like he'll always be in their heart, unbeatable, a monster on a bike. There will never be another like him. All of this was difficult to let go at first. Two pedals and a handlebar was all he'd ever known. My first reaction was, uh, I want to go on. I want to be a professional because I don't know anything else. Uh, but as the more time I had, the more I realized, hey, I think it's, it's also a good way to leave the sport because I realized there's no uh, new impression that I could make, that I don't want to give up so much more again, knowing that I have a son at home and I, I left the sport maybe early and there were also people who said to me hey you can't you can't leave you've got such a talent and you you need to go on but i mean i can't go on just because other people want me to to do it i need to do what i want and what i think is right 
The initial spell away from cycling in 2015 was a catalyst for what happened further down the line. In 2015, certainly the case where I had periods of probably feeling depressed. You know, I, I wouldn't call myself someone who suffered from depression or burnout or something because, yeah, that are serious illnesses. And I don't think that I was that bad, but I also felt the need to work with someone together. So I started to work with a sports psychologist and that was something that really helped me because yeah, you have someone on your side and it's really, really important get your head out of this small little cycling bubble. The cycling bubble is under more scrutiny than ever before, with some of the biggest names in the sport contesting with serious mental health issues. Mark Cavendish was diagnosed with clinical depression after suffering from the exhaustion-related Epstein-Barr virus. Olympic gold medalist Callum Skinner wrote extensively about his mental breakdowns. In 2019, American world champion track cyclist Kelly Catlin took her own life. The link between mental health problems and cycling is of serious concern. When you are in there, it's really hard sometimes to look left and right. You are just focused on your next race and there are all these emotions that you're going through but also not going through because as a cyclist you're used to to the fact that you are suppressing pain but it's actually really important to see your performance in these two parts in, in, in your physical performance and in your mental performance because that's also what cycling is and that is really important to to know and i think it's hard to talk in top sports about being vulnerable sometimes and you know having a hard time because everyone looks at you as this hard, tough guy who, you know, who never struggles, but that's not the reality. Everyone struggles and it's also uh, a very human thing to do. And the more you know about it and the earlier you accept that fact that struggling is something that you will have through your whole life in many moments and not only in your sports career, the better it is for yourself because you are you're accepting it and you're trying to look for a way to handle it. Marcel believes that the mental health issues in cycling are specific to what it asks of its competitors. Let's not forget, he loves those things. The UCI met in June 2021 to discuss these issues and the president reiterated that its athletes' well-being is fundamental to the institution. Marcel is adamant that his and others' experiences should shape the next generation. When I look back at my career now that I never really gave those mental abilities in my early years as a professional enough space to also develop as a human being, especially young athletes need to get this awareness very early on. And I think that's one of the experiences I would like to give back to, to my sport. It's what you have to invest in training, the hours, the sacrifices that you have to make. I mean, it's logical that you have to give up something uh, in order to become really good at it. But you have to be also aware that cycling as a sport is probably one of the toughest sports in the world. The question is for me, how much of the nature of the sport, of all this, you know, world of pain 
that, that you actually accept when you enter the sport, how much of that you can put in rules to protect the athlete. I think there's a certain rawness to the sport that you simply have to accept and you need to make it also in a certain way your own world and try to live with it and, and try to handle it. Marcel still cycles now, but he doesn't get on the bike to win races. Foot and pedal are again about freedom. He's come full circle. And he's had a lot of time to think about what he would do differently. My lesson that I learned is, if I could do it all over again, I really wanted to also not only develop as a cyclist, but also as a human being. I want to learn earlier and more how, you know, who I am actually, what do I want, why am I in this sport and why do I have so much fun and joy? What are the reasons why I step every day on a bicycle? And the reasons cannot only be because success is nice. Everyone enjoys success. But the reasons for me that I know that now, I need my own freedom. I'm someone who wants to be involved in organization, in, in, in the organizational aspects of, of, of planning a sprint, but also being at the race. So I, I would like to have a word in it. But yeah, it's also a reality that when you become a professional, you don't know all that. And you need someone at that point that helps you to discover yourself because um, you are more than only a professional cyclist. I think that's the biggest lesson that I learned from my career. Stories of bravery, determination and talent is an original Eurosport series produced by Mundial Studio. The narrator and story editor is me, Owen Blackhurst. The writer and producer is James Bird. And the executive producers are Taya Papula and Seb White. The assistant producer is Chris Byfield. Archive from the Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport. Eurosport and AFP TV via Getty Images. For Eurosport, the commissioning editor is Mark Asian and the executive producer is Ian Brackley. Original music composed by Harry Harris. <laughs>